Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the podcast guests and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Decisive Point welcomes Dr. Megan Fitzpatrick and U.S. Marine Corps Major Jennifer Giles, co-authors of Information Warfare, Lessons in Inoculation to Disinformation, with Dr. Ritu Gill. This article was featured in the spring 2022 issue of Parameters. Fitzpatrick is a strategic analyst with the Defense Research and Development Canada, DRDC, Center for Operational Research and Analysis, and is a widely published author on trauma and resilience. Her current work looks at how militaries are navigating the increasing importance of the information environment. Dr. Ritu Gill has a PhD in social psychology from Carleton University and is currently a section head with DRDC. Her research examines online influence activities, specifically how the internet and social media influence the information environment, including the analysis of online audiences and how deception techniques employed by adversaries, such as disinformation, impact audiences. Giles is currently a communication strategy and operations officer a foreign area officer who advises commander strategic and cultural engagement plans in the Pacific Theater, and an instructor at the Marine Air Ground Task Force Staff Training Program. Propaganda, disinformation, the internet, and the U.S. military. What it gets down to is preparing U.S. service members to defend against such campaigns. What are your working definitions of propaganda and disinformation? Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having us today, Stephanie. For this particular article, what we did is we opted in favor of a relatively neutral definition, and it's from Garth Jowett and Victoria O'Donnell, who have a book out called Propaganda and Persuasion that does a really good job of defining this. They defined propaganda as deliberate, systematic attempts to shape perception, manipulate cognition, and direct behavior to achieve a response that furthers the desired intent of the propagandist. Disinformation fits quite neatly underneath all of this as a deception technique that involves purposely spreading information to deceive, manipulate, and mislead. And that's untrue information, of course. And I think it's important here as well to distinguish between dis and misinformation. This is something that often gets lost in the public discourse about this topic, but the latter, so misinformation, is where individuals or groups involved are unaware that the information that they are spreading is untrue and don't have that underlying intention to deceive. And again, that's a distinction that often gets lost, but it's an important one because it's a key element to really unpack and to tease out when you're trying to understand influence and the potential threat it plays both from a public perspective as well as to the armed forces. Let's expand on some of the current day issues when it comes to disinformation in the armed forces. Studies show 80 to 90 percent of military-age individuals use at least one social media site, with a majority using social media at least once a day. What's more important is that As of 2018, the leading source of news information for military-age individuals was from social media and news websites. The U.S. population from which the armed forces recruits is significantly undertrained and underprepared to recognize and compete with disinformation. Only a minority of U.S. schools teach media literacy, and most youth and adults lack the skills to critically analyze the information they consume. 
If disinformation goes unchallenged, service members will remain vulnerable to cognitive shortfalls and ideological division will undermine force resiliency. Many adults have difficulty distinguishing between fact and opinion. They exhibit emotional responses to provocative information, and they choose to share information even when they know it's false. This matters to the warfighter. The future fight will rely on the ability of military members to execute decentralized command and control. And our success is contingent on our ability to do this. We must prepare military members to preserve and defend their cognitive space. And we can do this through education and awareness. Yeah, I think it's important here to realize that this really isn't anything new. State and non-state actors have been using disinformation to target their adversaries and opponents for many years, spreading rumors and stories to undermine the reputation of the targeted force, as well as the strength of key defense and security alliances. I think you only need to point to Soviet active measures during the Cold War as a salient historical example of this tactic in action. There are estimates, and this is in the article as well, that Warsaw Pact countries ran something to the tune of 10,000 disinformation operations from 1945 through to 1989. And the goal here was really to exploit the adversary's weakness, so driving wedges into pre-existing social divisions. So really, the more divided the society involved, the easier it is to take on this type of activity. How has disinformation changed or evolved in recent years? I think that we can all agree that today's purveyors of disinformation have very similar goals to their historical predecessors. But the difference now, which Jen discussed there, is the medium through which the message is delivered, and that's online. The use of social media is widespread. In fact, a 2017 NATO report showed that more than half the world's population, so that's around 3.7 billion of us, are online, and about 2.8 billion are using some form of social media. And both state and non-state actors will use that very fact to their advantage. And they weaponize information online and use it to manipulate and to outmaneuver rivals. And they're really using our own psychology against us, playing on emotionally charged narratives to undermine our capacity to think critically about things. And something you'll find in the article is that we focus on how these actors use divisive topics like immigration, abortion, race, and religion to manipulate us. What's more, it can be really easy, and I think we can all attest to this, to be overwhelmed by the amount of information that is out there. We don't have the time or the capacity to be able to sift through all of that information in a methodical fashion. And that means that we take cognitive shortcuts to process the information involved. And it makes us susceptible to disinformation campaigns. So for example, we tend to accept information that goes along with our own biases and beliefs and our own attitudes. So that's confirmation bias in action. And like the rest of the public, armed forces members and their families are out there online and they're on social media. And that means that because they're human, they're just as vulnerable to the same influences as we are. And that's a significant risk, both from a force protection standpoint, as well as operational security. It remains difficult to assess exactly how much harm from disinformation can be directly attributed to adversaries. But what we do know is that adversaries continue to become even more effective at weaponized information. And it's a national security issue that must be addressed. Disinformation targets fault lines within a society. 
and military personnel are not immune to these tactics. For many, adversary disinformation campaigns undermine service members' ability to discern fact from fiction, creating a distorted cognitive environment, an alternate reality. These campaigns penetrate their social media networks and makes them susceptible to conspiracy theories and extremist groups, which degrades unit cohesion and presents a real force protection threat. We are faced with an abundance of low-quality information online, and it is time-intensive and challenging to differentiate between a fact and an opinion, to verify sources, identify altered visual information, identify imposter social media accounts, and recognize targeted divisive material. Many do not feel a sense of responsibility when sharing or interacting with information online. These challenges have evolved in the current information environment. You offer in your article some really good recommendations. I'd love to hear about those. There's been significant debate about how to handle disinformation at a global level, and there's been a lot of suggestions of legislative and regulatory measures that could be put in place. But we don't think that those type of initiatives are ultimately a long-term solution. And what we discuss in the article is that there's mounting evidence from both the humanities and the social sciences that suggests that the best long-term solution to all this is education, education, and education. And we can point to the Scandinavian and Baltic countries as a great template for how to implement some of these disinformation education programs. And really what the article and what we're intending to suggest is we all need to be equipped with digital literacy skills to be able to navigate what is inherently a deceptive environment, very easy to fall into a lot of pitfalls, and Education is the route to be able to address that effectively, ultimately in the long term. Myths and disinformation presents a real and growing threat. Many within the Department of Defense point out that it is not just about adversary influence, but it is about understanding how domestic actors and media play a huge role in causing division. The U.S. government cannot stop disinformation. But media literacy training is an effective and affordable way to harden the primary tech surface, the mind of the individual, and it can be implemented by the DOD immediately. Increasing resiliency will not only limit the impact of disinformation on individuals, it will also mitigate the spread of disinformation and its compounding effects among networks. Media literacy is a force protection measure. The Department of Defense must mandate a standardized, multifaceted media literacy program to provide service members with the skills required to confront disinformation. The Department of Defense offers a Joint Knowledge Online Influence Awareness computer-based course. It's a 90-minute course that educates participants on adversary and competitor initiatives to influence U.S. and DoD personnel. And it introduces tools to counter influence. It's a great first step, but it's not mandatory and it's not well advertised and its static content, it will quickly become stale as the information environment evolves. In addition, the course does not assess participants or gather performance data to inform course refinement. It doesn't inform service leaders of positive or concerning information trends. Above all, and this is the big thing, a media literacy course must provide students the opportunity to practice practical, dynamic skills needed to develop healthy online information consumption habits on the personal devices we all use most often, cell phones, tablets, laptops. The DoD doesn't have to tackle this alone. Multiple public sector media literacy leaders have developed dynamic in-person training programs. There's programs such as the International Research Exchange Board, IREX, they have learned to discern, and Stanford History Education Group's Civic Online Reasoning. 
and also uh, Harvard's MediaWise. There are just a few prominent examples. Private sector best practices and DoD resources could be combined to develop a comprehensive media literacy training program consisting of annual online courses and in-person classes. This combination would benefit DoD personnel and could be expanded to benefit family members who also have a need for this information. The Department of Defense cannot mandate family members to take online media literacy training. Of course not. But many are concerned about the threat of false information and welcome opportunities to understand and protect themselves. There is substantial research out there that says this is important to citizens. And a recent Gallup poll found that a broad swatch of our population believes disinformation and cybersecurity are our biggest future challenges. It's important we recognize this. The Marine Corps is staffing a decision paper with the Commandant and the Marine Corps staff that calls for enduring in-person media literacy training for every Marine. It's my opinion that public affairs professionals, or in the Marine Corps, the communication strategy and operation professionals, are the best candidates to lead this training. Family readiness officers, key spouse leaders, they're also important conduits to promoting and sharing online media literacy opportunities and encouraging family members to protect themselves and counter adversary initiatives. At the end of the day, media literacy education is not about telling people what to think. It's about how to think critically about what they see. An individual's cognition and mental processes are the ultimate determinants of the success of an adversary's efforts. Media literacy education is an effective and immediate user-level approach to protecting people from disinformation. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an honor to speak with you. I hope listeners get an opportunity to read our paper and learn more about disinformation. Thank you so much for uh, inviting us to join you. I think we're both very excited to be able to share our thoughts on what's an important subject for all of us. Listeners, if you'd like more details about this topic, including information about techniques used to spread disinformation and how other countries educate their populations about online safety, Check out the article at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Look for Volume 52, Issue 1. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.